All right, well, thank you so much for being here again tonight. Thank you, Pastor Doug, for praying us in. We, we won't pray again. We'll just receive from that one. Just a couple of intro matters before we jump into the teaching tonight. Looks like most everybody was here last week. Uh, and, but let me just say, if you're kind of new and you're seeing me for the second week in a row and you're thinking, who is this guy? This is not what I signed up for. Where is Pastor Dale? Where is Pastor Doug? That I totally get it. It's totally cool. And uh, just please stick around because the rest of the semester is going to be so awesome. Pastor Dale is going to preach. Pastor Doug, Rasan. We've got Pastor Casey coming in to do a worship night. So there are many, many wonderful things in store for you for the rest of the semester. So please, please come. You know, last week, who, who was here last week? Just out of curiosity, like pretty much most people. Most people were here last week. Well, how about those activations at the end of the week, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so just, just as a refresher, we, we kind of had a prayer time. And then in our prayer time, we envisioned Jesus saying to us, you know, I'm willing, be thou made whole. And then we pictured ourselves kind of reaching out to grab Jesus as He came by, just as the woman with the issue of blood did. Remember, she reached out, she pressed through the crowd, and she touched Jesus. And so I wanted to, I, I was so impacted by our table time that I decided to, to do those activations again, which I encourage you to do. So I was, I was laying in my bed the other night, and I was going through these activations again. And so, so I went through and I heard Jesus say, you know, I'm willing, be thou made whole. And I imagined myself pressing into the crowd to touch Jesus. And instantly the Lord spoke to me. And the best thing I can describe, the best way I can describe what he said, is in talking about the woman with the issue of blood, he said, he said where was my willingness there? And so he immediately at that time then took me to one of Andrew Womack's teachings that I'm going to now basically briefly reiterate for you now because this is extremely important when it comes to your healing doctrine and when you're looking for healing for yourself. And, and it's like this. Remember when the woman with the issue of blood reached out to touch Jesus? He did not know who touched him. He did not know who she was. There was no willingness, there was no prayer, there was no act of His will, there was no conscious choice to release power. None of that happened in that. And that is why it is one of the most powerful healing miracles in the Bible. And so the teaching is like this, because this is the biblical truth. Tonight when you go home, in your house, you're going to have water flowing through the pipes in your house. And when you have electricity, the electricity is already fully released and flowing through the electrical wires in your house. But if you don't plug something into the socket, or if you don't flip the switch, or if you don't open one of the valves, you're not going to receive that electricity you're not going to receive that water. You see, Hillsborough County water has fully released the water into your house. But if you don't open the valve, you don't get any water. And they will not come and open that valve for you. Tico has released the electricity into your house. If you don't flip the switch, the light doesn't come on. The healing power of God is totally and completely released 
beyond any question of his willingness, beyond any question of a person-by-person -person choice, but what you have to do is reach out with the touch of faith to open the valve. Faith is the only way to open the valve, to flip the switch, to plug in, to receive the healing power of God. But when you reach out, just like that woman did, and you reach out in faith, you know, be healed in Jesus' name. I command my leg to be healed. I command my neck to be healed. When you reach out, you know, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. When you reach in faith, now the power starts flowing into your body. Faith is how the power flows. That there's no more question of willingness. There's no more question of choice. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever receives the healing word of God, by Jesus' stripes I was healed, will receive that same power flow into their body and receive healing from God. That's how it works. That's just how strong the healing will of God is. The power is fully and totally released to you. And God reminded me of that the other night. And I just wanted to share it with you because I know there are people in here who are believing God for their healing. And, and I tell you, you never ever need to think, does God want me healed? Is God going to choose to heal me? Is God going to choose to release His healing power to me? No, no, it's already released. And what we have to do, and this is a lot of what we've been teaching here, is we have to use the authority, that's the exousia, the exousia authority, take authority over sickness, authority over unclean spirits, authority over disease, and we have to release the dunamis or the miracle working power of God that we receive when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to use that power for healing. And so that's one of the reasons why we're really going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. So I'm going to teach. I'll try to get through these verses quickly, but let's face it, this is like after salvation, the most important teaching in the Bible. I know, I know we don't hear it a lot at church, but that's just the way it is. This is this is like number two. And, uh, and then we're going to have some awesome guest speakers that I'll introduce after this. So, so tonight we're going to talk briefly about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start in Matthew 3.11. And if you see your scripture sheets, they're, they're pretty good, but I messed them around a little bit. So if, if you can't follow along just perfectly, don't worry about it. So this is Matthew 3.11. Now this is John the Baptist speaking. And he's speaking before the ministry of Jesus even began. And ironically, he's speaking prophetically about Jesus after the earthly ministry of Jesus would end. So that's what's happening here. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we have no idea really who he was talking to there, but just a bunch of random people out in the wilderness. And what he is saying is that Jesus is going to baptize all of you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now I'm going to read to you three verses. And these verses are the last words of Jesus before he goes back to heaven. These are the last words of Jesus in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of Acts. And I am fully persuaded that these are the exact same conversation being recounted in Luke, Acts, and Mark. 
These are three different accounts of the exact same conversation, the very last thing Jesus said to the disciples before he went back to heaven. So this is Mark. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now this is Luke. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Acts, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gather around him and ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we would need to go into some details that I'm not going to get into tonight to show you exactly why these are the same conversation, but they are. Just trust me. Feel free to look at it all for yourself. But when you put these three passages together, understanding that they're part of the same conversation, you can really get to some very powerful truths. So in Luke and Acts, we see Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the gift that was promised by God. In the Acts passage, he tells us specifically that this gift was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Moreover, he tells us when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will receive power from on high. And what are you going to do with that power? You're going to be a witness for Jesus. You are going to be a supernaturally empowered witness for Jesus. And also, when we look at Mark, we see that when you receive this power, you are going to have the enablement to speak in new tongues, and you are going to have the enablement to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. This is the biblical model. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you can speak in new tongues, you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So, Jesus wants every single person baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember what John said, there's one coming after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? Jesus wants everybody baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants everybody to speak in new tongues, and Jesus wants everybody to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Now, we will dive into this a little bit more, but that is not a violation of the 1 Corinthians 14 discussion of spiritual gifts, where it talks about the Spirit divides the spiritual gifts severally as He will. There is a spiritual gift of healing, there is a spiritual gift of speaking in different tongues, and there are other spiritual gifts. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. Very interestingly, in Mark, when Jesus says they will speak in new tongues, it is kainos tongues. The Greek word is kainos, meaning new or fresh. In 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is talking about the spiritual gift of tongues, it is genos tongues. Genos tongues, meaning the tongues of other races or nations. And that's exactly what we see in uh, Acts chapter 2, which we'll see in a second. So, there is a gift of miracles, a gift of healings, but all, and a gift of genos tongues, 
But there is a believer mantle, an anointing on every single believer to speak in new tongues and to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. These are for everyone. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is when they first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now Acts 8.14, sometime later. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. So they were believers, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They, uh, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now Acts chapter 10. So first we had the original apostles, now we had a group of Samaritans, and now we have some Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Jews, the circumcised believers, these are the Jews that are now Christians, they're astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now this is Acts 19. Now, this is very important because this is a minimum of 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this is Paul on his missionary journey. He's now in Ephesus and he runs into a random group of believers in Ephesus. Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now this is a very, very powerful passage that flies directly in the face of a lot of the modern church teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what is the biblical model here? The biblical model is a person gets saved. Maybe they get baptized with the Holy Spirit at the exact same time, like in Acts chapter 10. Or maybe they get baptized with the Holy Spirit at a different time, like the Samaritan did in Acts chapter 8. And isn't it so interesting that Paul says... He meets these believers. And what's the first thing he says? Well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Why? Because he didn't know. Maybe they did when they were saved. Or maybe they hadn't. Because sometimes it happens simultaneously. And sometimes it doesn't. So you believe. And then you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what is the, the most common biblical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is the ability to speak in new tongues. So this is really the biblical model. And notice another thing. You know, 
Some people think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for a mature believer or someone who's been a Christian a long time. That's unbiblical. That's totally unbiblical. How long have the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 been a Christian and they got baptized with the Holy Spirit? Precisely zero seconds. It happened at the exact same time. What about in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans? We have no idea, but it wasn't very long, maybe a couple of weeks. And what about Paul? Did he ask these, you know, did you get your life cleaned up? Have you been able to root out all the sin of your life? Have you, have you been able to mature spiritually? No, he doesn't ask him any of that. The very first thing he says, well, did you get baptized with the Holy Spirit? You see, this is the day one message. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every single believer. It doesn't matter how long they've been a believer. It doesn't matter how mature they are as a believer. God has this for everyone. And that is the biblical truth. So, let's move on a little bit. This is Acts chapter 5, 12 to 16. 12 and 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. Oh, I don't think this is in there. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> don't worry about it. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Right? What do we see going on here now? Right? We see the disciples who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit now operating in the power of God to heal. Exactly like Jesus said, you're going to be endued with power from on high. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. Why? And you're going to go out and you're going to be a witness for me to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And that miracle working power of healing is operating in the exact same way in their ministry where everybody gets healed, because that's God's will for everybody to get healed, in the exact same way it operated in Jesus' ministry, where everybody got healed. That's the healing ministry of God. There is no other healing ministry. If someone suggests to you that healing's for this person but not this person, that's a fraud, that's a fake, that's heresy. Right? There's only one true healing ministry of Jesus, and that's the ministry where God's healing is for everybody. Where Jehovah Rapha has healing for everybody. But now we see that power operating in the disciples after they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 6, verse 8. And I only bring this up because this guy was not one of the twelve, not one of the disciples. Acts 6, verse 8. I don't think this is in there either. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. You know, some people will tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for the apostles. It was only for the first disciples. That God's not doing that anymore. That's, a, that's a, an abomination. That's heresy. Right? That's a lie from the pit of hell. No, it's for all of us. I don't care what your name is. I don't care where you're from. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. You can start laying hands on the sick and see them recover today. That's God's will for your life. This is what the Bible actually teaches us. So, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus has for everybody, you receive the miracle-working power of God into your life. Why? First and foremost, so you can be a supernaturally empowered witness for Jesus. 
And second of all, so that you can start laying hands on the sick and see them recover. And why, why do we do that anyway, right? It's just to show people God's love, to point them to Jesus, to point them to Jehovah Rapha, to point them to Christ the healer by His stripes who are healed. It's all about pointing people to Jesus anyway. So we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover, and we can speak in new tongues. And I want to, I want to briefly mention one quick issue because this is very, very interesting. Someone might say to me, you know, Byron, this is too much. This is too strong. There are lots of very anointed preachers out there who do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that in fact preach against it. Here is the answer to that interesting question. First of all, all Christians, even those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, do have the exousia or the authority of Jesus. All Christians are one with Christ and step into that authority even if they do not have the dunamis power. And that authority allows us to cast out demons. So you can see Catholic priests in the deliverance ministry, they're not speaking in tongues, they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, they didn't believe in it, but they can still operate in an exorcism or deliverance ministry. Furthermore, and this is maybe, you know, this applies to a lot of the big name denominations that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Word of God has power in and of itself. The Gospel of Jesus Christ has power in and of itself. The name of Jesus has power in and of itself. So even if a person is not baptized with the Holy Spirit, if they're preaching the Gospel, if they're preaching the Word of God, if they're using the name of Jesus, that power is going to operate. And remember, the Bible teaches us that you know there are going to be people that work signs and wonders in the name of Jesus that they're not even saved. Right? Remember, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. But so this is the answer to that question. Yes, there are many people that do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they are wrong. They have been misled. It's a very unfortunate fact that it's just the way it is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is for everyone, and that is the biblical truth. So, tonight we are going to spend the rest of our time really talking about a few verses with respect to speaking in tongues. And I think, even if you've been speaking in tongues a long time, I think this is going to bless you. And um, I hope that this really encourages you and gives you some additional insight. Because I tell you, when I saw this stuff, praise the Lord, I started spending a lot more time speaking in tongues. So, <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Remember, this is back when the first apostles received. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. If someone can explain to me how every nation under heaven had God-fearing Jews, I'd like to understand that. How, how did that happen? But anyway, let's move on. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language spoken. So what do we see here, right? We're, so we have a, the gift of speaking in tongues has been poured out. And there's people from every nation under heaven. And somehow, everybody understands. That is the first manifestation of speaking in tongues. We'll just keep it simple. We'll call it, everybody understands. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 14 too. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They under utter mysteries by the Spirit. So what's going on here? 
We went from everybody understands to nobody understands. So clearly we're talking about something different. We're talking about a different manifestation, but it's still under the English word tongues. Now the next one. 1 Corinthians 14, 27-28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. And if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So what do we have here? We had everybody understands. Then we have nobody understands. And now apparently we have one person understands. And these are the three manifestations of the blessing that we call tongues. Nobody understands. Everybody understands. And one person understands. And you see, this is the skeleton key that unlocks your understanding to all the scriptures about speaking in tongues. When you do not understand this and you try to take the verses about speaking in tongues and understand them, then you get all sorts of goofball doctrine that's unbiblical and you're trying to explain something that Paul is saying about one of these manifestations, you're trying to apply it to a totally different verse, and now things just don't make sense. And that's a big reason why there's so much confusion in this area. So with the rest of our time, we're going to continue looking at this third manifestation. Because this is the one that God has for everybody. You're the, the speaking in tongues when no one understands. You are speaking to God alone. And we commonly refer to that as your private prayer language. And now when you go back and you really drive down on the verses, especially in 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the different manifestations of tongues, you can really start to get a lot of truth and a lot of insight about your private prayer language. And when it talks about, you know, do, do all speak in tongues or the gift of speaking in tongues that, uh, you know, that the Spirit divides severally, he's talking about the genos tongues, the tongues of other races and other nations, or he's talking about the type when there's an interpreter. So now we're going to look specifically at the times where it's talking about nobody understands. This is your private prayer language. This is just between you and God. And when Jesus said, Kainos tongues, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall speak in Kainos tongues. This is what he was talking about. So, excuse me while I flip the page. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So nobody understands. That's what we're talking about here. And what's happening when you're using your private prayer language? What are the first things we know are happening? You are speaking directly to God. And maybe that doesn't do a whole lot for you. You know, I always pray to God when I pray. Well, great, great. But it's still pretty interesting. Right? The Bible's noting it specifically here. You're not speaking to anybody else. You're not even speaking to yourself. You're speaking directly to God. But maybe far more interesting, what are you doing? You are uttering mysteries by the Spirit. And if you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to reference 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's the verse where it says, you know, who knows the deep things of a man but the spirit of a man? In the same way, no one knows the deep things of God but the spirit of God. Remember that? This is a direct correlation to that verse. Same book, 1 Corinthians, that's chapter 2, this is 14. So what he's saying here is, 
When you are praying in your private prayer language, the Spirit of God that knows everything, that knows the deep things of God, is speaking out the very mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. His hidden will for your life. He's speaking those out through your mouth. And that revelation is one of the big reasons why I spend a lot of time praying in my prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14.4 Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Again, this is talking about the um, manifestation where no one understands. Because anybody here that's familiar with these verses would know that when there's an interpreter or when other people understand, that's when it's being used to edify the church. Now, when this manifestation, when it's only you and God, it edifies you alone. But the word edify, very interesting. Build up, like building a house. When you are praying in your private prayer language, you are building yourself up. You're getting stronger. This idea is echoed in the book of Jude, Jude 1.20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. When you are praying in your private prayer language, you are building yourself up on your most holy faith. You are literally strengthening yourself in your spirit, strengthening yourself in faith, and you are keeping yourself in the place of faith. Remember, we've talked about that, right? Be healed. By Jesus stripes, I was healed. By Jesus stripes, I was healed. But the doctor says you're going to die. But your ankle says you're still not healed. But your mind says, you know, I've got all these problems, right? You pray in tongues. It arrests your mind and keeps your mind in the place of faith while you're building yourself up spiritually. That's a very powerful part of the reason that we use our private prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays that. But my mind is unfruitful. Again, my mind's unfruitful. I don't understand. Nobody else understands. So what am I doing here though? My spirit is praying. Now, look, you are a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is the part of you that is born again. Your spirit is the part of you that is God's child. Your spirit is the part of you that is 100% perfect and righteous and sinless in the eyes of God. And it says, when you are praying in your prayer language, your spirit is praying. This is a fascinating intersection between spirit and flesh. Your spirit, your perfect born-again spirit, is now praying through your physical mouth. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. When you become a Christian, when you become a child of God and your spirit is born again, in that moment the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and in that moment you are united spiritually with God. And I say that because we're talking about our spirits praying by the Spirit we speak mysteries. I'm building myself up in my spirit. And our last verse for the night, Romans 8, 26-27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. My friends, I do not want you to miss the significance of this. When you are praying in tongues, when you are praying in your private prayer language, 
God, by His Spirit, is joining with your spirit to pray His perfect will for your life out of your mouth. That is exactly what's happening. The Spirit of God, through its union with your spirit, is praying God's perfect will for your life out of your mouth. In fact, God Himself, your Heavenly Father, who loves you more than you can fathom, when you are using your prayer language, God is interceding for you Himself in prayer through your mouth. That's kind of crazy, right? That's pretty mind-blowing, really. I mean, think about it. I mean, but so, if we really understand this, how much should we pray in our prayer language? Right? Probably a lot. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want God interceding for me all the time. I want God praying His perfect will for me all the time. His perfect will for my family, for my kids, for my you know church experience, for my business, for my whatever, all the time. I need to be praying in my prayer language all the time because I need God's will in my life all the time. I need to be building myself up in my most holy faith all the time. I need to be edifying myself all the time. I mean, it's such a wonderful gift. And yes, praise the Lord, He has it for us all. He has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He has the power of God. He has laid hands on the sick and see them recover. And He has private prayer language for us all. So tonight we are so blessed because we have a couple of special guests here tonight. I'm going to briefly introduce them and then they're going to come up. First up, we're going to have Matt Laporta. Matt Laporta is an extremely handsome man from Tampa, Florida. He is Pastor Craig's son-in-law. He's an athlete. He's a businessman. He's a mighty man of God, and he is baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's going to tell you his uh, testimony a little bit tonight. We also have Renee Scott. Renee Scott has been a member of Grace Family Church since 2007. Uh, She and her husband, Alton, are awesome members of the church. She's on the beautiful uh, teaching team. She's a business owner. She's a mighty woman of God. She's also baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she is going to give you her testimony as well. So first we'll have Matt. And then Matt will hand it off to Renee, and then I'll come back to lead us into our prayer time. Thank you so much, everybody.